RugbyRenegade.com, the number one online strength and conditioning program for rugby. Are you ready to get bigger, stronger, fitter, and faster and dominate your opposition? Welcome to the Rugby Renegade Podcast, where we build machines. Hello and welcome to the Rugby Renegade podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Pro Athlete Supplementation. Check them out at pas-nutrition.co.uk for all your supplementation needs. And don't forget that subscribers to the Rugby Renegade program get a 40% discount on retail prices. Yes, we are back for episode 34 of the Rugby Renegade podcast. My name is Jamie Bain and today I interview a highly experienced uh, rugby strength and conditioning coach. Um, He's won trophies at club level, international level. He's worked for the British Lions. Uh, He's been been there done it all uh, I'm sure you will have heard of him before his name is Craig White and uh, obviously a wealth of experience um, so it was a, a delight to, to interview him and speak to him about his career uh, and what he's he's kind of moved on to now uh, mentoring coaches um, loads of great information uh, in there packed full of information uh, unfortunately his uh, Wi-Fi was a bit dodgy during the course there's a couple of times it dips out but please Please persist with it. There's uh, so much more good information. There's only a couple of times it dips out, but um, really worth a listen. And of course, as always, let us know what you think and any questions, get them to us and we'll hopefully get them answered in future podcasts. But give it a listen and let us know what you think. Hi, Craig. Welcome to the Rugby Renegade podcast. Uh, Great to have you on. Uh, I'm sure in the strength and conditioning community, I mean, you're pretty well known and and people know about um, where you've worked, but why don't you just, you know, we'll hear it from the horse's mouth, so to speak, and just tell us a bit about how you got into strength and conditioning and a bit of a synopsis of the teams you work with as well. Yeah, thanks, Jeremy. It's uh, it's good to be here. Um, so I, I got into SNC, I guess, about... Um, I mean, I've always been into fitness, but I got into rugby SNC about uh, 24, 25 years ago. I played rugby league myself um, at a decent level, and I always thought I would turn professional. It didn't happen, so I... Study to become a PE teacher. Um, luckily, just before I started my BSc degree, I connected with um, a couple of brothers, Andy and Phil Clark. Um, Andy was a condition coach. Phil used to play with the Leaf Wigan. They both now have sports management um, software. And um, anyway, they used to have a, a company called Health Pack, and I worked for them. Andy used to work with a lot of top teams. He was a pivotal, a pivotal SNC coach just before and just at the start of the professional game before he moved on to different things. And I used to assist him. I assisted him for three years. And uh, during that time, I would go with him to work with teams in rugby league, um, Sail Sharks, all of the Irish provinces because he worked with Ireland. I had a significant experience working with the Irish rugby team and Liverpool football club. So by the time I finished my degree, I was I was ready to go really. And my um, my first head S and C role was with Waterloo Rugby Club in 1996. And in 1998, um, even though I was still working for Andy, um, I went on tour to South Africa with the Irish rugby team. I reconnected with Warren Gatland, who I'd met in Connacht. That was Warren's first ever um, tour with the Irish team, his first get together with the Irish team, and it was very. I moved to Dublin. They offered me a full time role, and I moved to Dublin to live in Ireland for three years. 
right at the kind of start of, um, of professionalism, really. I, um, I moved to Dublin in the uh, start of 1998. And um, that was a great time, lots of fun, but also lots of frustration, convincing guys the importance of training the legs and not doing too much running was very difficult at the start of uh, professionalism. And, um, but it was a great experience, and the island had come on um, staggeringly so since those days. So I left Ireland, and I, um, I actually went to work for Bolton Wanderers Football in the UK Premiership, and that was also a beautiful experience. I worked with Sam Allardyce and his, his, his kind of team of, of sports scientists, if you will, and um, it was pretty cutting edge in football at the time, but I only did a a couple of, well, just under two seasons there because um, I was longing to get back in rugby and Warren Gatland, who'd moved to Wasps, enticed me to, to go to London. So I moved to London in probably what was the, the more successful period in my career, really. I spent just over three incredible seasons at London Wasps and um, I ended that period um, going on the 2005 Lions Tour. And um, following that uh, 2005 Lions Tour, I'd agreed a contract to go to New Zealand. I always wanted to go to the Southern Hemisphere. I sorted out a contract to connect with Warren Gatland again in Waikato. Unfortunately, my father got cancer and I didn't go in the end. And um, so that was disappointing, but um, it turned out to be fruitful because I got a role with Leicester Tigers, working with Pat Howard and Richie Cockrell. And in the, I started towards the end of the season. In the following season, season. This was we lost against Wasps in the season in the European Cup final, and um, we would have been the first team ever to win the treble that year if, if we'd have won that game. And it was, um, it was an incredible, incredible season, and um, one that I fondly remember. And then following Leicester Tigers, I again I had this desire to go to the Southern Hemisphere, and I agreed a contract with the Wallabies. I went to Australia to finalise the contract, and um, it was all agreed. And then um, once again, I, I chose not to go. My wife at the time didn't want to be alone in Australia, and. Um, we chose to come back and, and um, then hopefully by Wales with Warren again, Warren Gatland, and I spent um, three seasons with Wales, and I went on the 2009 Lions Tour South Africa, and um, I finished working for Wales full time about um, just over six years ago, and since then I um, I spent uh, five years working for World Rugby. I worked for World Rugby as a high performance consultant and. That was a different role. It took me all over the world, working with six nations in, in sevens and fifteens. And um, I loved it because um, I didn't want to work full time in the world of full time rugby again. And uh, full time role was a big part of this book, mentoring S and T courses. The benefit of working for rugby was that um, this part-time position it enables me to develop a series of different skill sets. I started a PhD in holistic nutrition, 
I became fascinated with human behavior and psychology and, and I became an NLP master practitioner. A mindfulness teacher, meditation, yoga teacher, and um, I created emotional wellness coach, and I, and I studied life coaching, so um, I really kind of went into detail and depth around um, human behavior, my own understanding myself, but also understanding the behavior of others, which I feel is, is really, really critical to, to any coach working in, in sport today. And, um, and just to end um, where I am now, today I'm, I'm still doing some high performance for some different teams, but the, the main area that I move into that I love is, is very much coach mentorship and, and mentoring, especially sports coaches. So that's kind of a, a snapshot, really, of my career today. Yeah, uh, obviously, you know, tons of experience, and, and you've had a lot of success, and been at some great clubs, and, and with great teams, and and as listening to you talk about it, a lot of things come back. Obviously, working with great coaches, obviously Warren Gatland, worked with him loads. Uh, Sam Allardyce, uh, Richard Cockrell, and Pat Howard. Like, how do you see, um, or, or what do you think is the most important thing about that relationship with a coach? Obviously, for a head of S and C, it's really important to get right. What, what's your sort of focus in in that regard? I mean, it's trust, really, um, and some of it is, is, is actually beyond um, your capabilities. Some of it is, is that you just have a resonance with each other. You have an energetic resonance, and you like to be in each other's every time with Warren. It's, um, it's trust. He took me on the South Africa tour as a young 25-year-old with limited experience, and he liked my energy. He liked my confidence. He liked my connection with the players. He liked the fact that I could um, play bad cop and also have a you know a joking, playful side to me as well. So it's it's definitely um, trust, really, mate. Right? That's that's the main um, with this connection between the, the coach and the condition coach. Yeah, definitely. Now uh, your career spanned, you know, like you said, a long period of time, twenty-five years, um, and starting when SNC and rugby was you know really in its early days. How have you seen the, uh, the profession change over those years? Um, dramatically, I would say that rugby, and now actually rugby sevens as well. It's just it's in terms of sports science support and, and um, how sports science and SNC has impacted the game. It, it's incredible. I'd say there's not many other sports in the world that have excelled so fast as rugby union has. Um, and it's interesting answering this question. Funny, I've always wanted to answer this question, but nobody's asked me it before. Um, Pre-1995, which is when the pro game started in the UK, uh, the top teams, in my opinion then, were by far the most aerobically fit teams and the leanest teams. Um, it, it, it seems that um, at that time, with a limited education of people in rugby, people thought that fitness was only aerobic fitness. So there's a lot of aerobic running, and it actually did give teams an edge in the beginning. When the the game went professional, this kind of came, this continued for a while, um, but then it um, it changed after a number of years. What also happened at the start of professionalism was it was a, a period of experimentation. Um, it was a new era of, of, of the game. Teams employed experts with a wide range of skills. Some teams employed PE teachers because they thought they knew about fitness. Other teams employed ex-players, usually the ones that motivated the guys good. 
athletic coaches came into the game, university physiologists, and clubs were just experimenting, really. And um, during the, the first, I don't know, four, five, six years of professionalism, teams still continue to go down this route of, of aerobic runs and, and then anaerobic running fitness, traditional interval training with, with some success in the early days. But then um, I believe that um, we at Wasps um, were one of the teams to, to break that trend, to really start to look at what is happening in a game. At that time, was it really running that was fatiguing the players? Well, in my opinion, even though the game's changed, at that time, um, the early 2000s, it did We, we never followed the coach, and um, I played the league. I come from that, um, especially what causes you and uh, the early days in it was the combative stop start, get up off the floor, maximal resistance type work that caused fatigue. And this is exactly this is exactly what we worked on at Wasps. We moved away from interval runs. An athletic type training, and we introduced a program that emphasised more of a high intensity, short anaerobic blast, which includes a bias towards max strength work. So um, this seemed to work for us for the game, for the close contact aspects of the game, and also at Wasps in the early days we went literally overnight from having one SNC coach to having four SNC coaches and three interns. And the aim with this experiment uh, was to create a net where the players couldn't fall through. There was no excuses. And it had a massive, massive impact. I remember teams looking at our model thinking, why on earth would you need so many conditioning coaches? What's the rationale behind that? But it gave us an edge over teams. And um, I remember speaking to some of the senior players, and there were times in those early days where I don't want to mention any, any specific teams, but there was definitely two or three teams in the league, and we'd look at them before the game, we'd look at the shape of them and how well we thought they were conditioned, and we would just know that we were going to win those games. It was obvious. It does the conditioning approach really gave us an edge, and I'm also a believer that uh, the model we had at Wasps. Um, is the model that a lot of teams in the pro game have, um, have actually copied and, and took on to um, to, to, to bigger and, and, and better ways to, to support a rugby team. So as the pro game progressed and got faster, all in play for much longer periods of time, of course um, running is becoming more important again. And if we could go back working full-time with the team, I wouldn't change much, but I would probably add a little bit of more high intensity running. So those were um, the early days at Wasps, and um, what also is happening now is um, teams are looking at more specific training. They're looking a little bit more in terms of the specificity of movement patterns, position specifics, even specificity of of force application. What happened, Jerry, in the beginning was we got a lot of advice. Some of us baby conditioning coaches growing up in rugby, we got a lot of advice from 
people in strength, sports, weightlifting, um, athletics training, the American sports, who knew absolutely nothing about rugby, but and they were preaching that we only needed to do general training, and the training only need to have a general, um, traditional approach. Now that worked for a while, but now the players are so well conditioned that um, we do have to look at things in a, a, a lot more specificity and also individual player profiling is is more important than ever before especially with this uh, surge of, um, of science technology that we see in relation to um, something about science technology it's incredible what's happening in the game the GPS and all of the technologies and um, it's making a difference at, at, at the top level if we use it correctly. However, it's also a potential problem for some of the coaches through the system, and I'll tell you why. A lot of the technological approaches now, they are driven by numbers. Um, a lot of coaches that I know are frustrated by this number-driven approach. And a lot of the coaches, especially the young ones coming through the system, they don't have the soft skills, they don't know how to coach, they don't know how to communicate, to present, to make intuitive decisions. They're great with technology, they're great with numbers and spreadsheets, but they they really see they lack real um, reasons I want to move more and more coach mentoring is because I want to teach new coaches and also um, some of the coaches that have come from a science background to, to really understand the art of coaching. So that's me for the moment, Jamie. Yeah. No, I've got to say, uh, having, you know, when I started my career coming to the industry was when WASPs were, were doing success, you know, very well. Um, and I've got to say, yeah, I understand that a lot of people were looking at you and trying to figure out what you were doing and, and that model was appearing elsewhere. So I can, I can definitely understand that. Um, so just, just touching on that, um, uh, the, the influx of sports science and, and the lack of learning, you know, the kind of art of coaching. Um, how, how does that tie in with your, your coach mentoring? Obviously, that's, that's something you're trying to target in your coach mentorship and bringing those, those skills in alongside the science? Yeah, most definitely. Um, I mean, I only have to, sometimes I communicate with some of the, the coaches that were also, have also been in the pro game for a while and, and there's a lot of frustration coming from some of the top coaches around um, sports science support and coaching staff wanting to direct training based on statistics and numbers. And um, if a coach has got a scientific mind, um, a very rational, logical mind, then he may benefit from that. And there are some head coaches like that, but there's still a lot of head coaches around that um, that are more driven by a real kind of humanistic, um, people-oriented, intuitive approach. And the numbers that are really, really frustrating them. And um, they're, they're, one of the biggest frustrations is that they're seeing some of these young sports scientists, young S&C coaches, and they seem to be incredibly intelligent, but they do lack soft skills. They lack confidence. They lack the capacity to understand themselves. They're often frustrated. They're poor communicators, and um, and they don't seem to have the the capacity to uh, to really connect with 
with humans, really. One of the um, big beliefs that I had when I left uh, full-time rugby and I moved into kind of a consultancy was that um, the most the most important aspect of any coaching role is how you can connect with another human being, how you can get your message across at that human interface level. Because everybody now has the tools. A lot of clubs have big budgets. They have a lot of staff, sports scientists, and, um, and numbers. But it doesn't really matter if you can't really get your message across to the players. Yeah, definitely. I think, like I say, you can have the best kind of program and, and strategies in the world, but if, if you can't yeah. get buy-in from the players, then it's it's almost pointless. So um, a big part of my work is, is, is really helping um, coaches to um, to understand themselves, understand the way they think, understand the strengths, understand the challenges, understand some of the mental patterns that actually are destructive to them, that limit their confidence. So that is about self-awareness. So I help coaches to become incredibly self-aware. And by coming, becoming more self-aware of their own behavior, they also automatically can become more aware of others. And um, a big part of my work is also um, cultivating presence and flow, but also optimizing interpersonal communication, which is incredibly, incredibly important, and it's not taught in any sports science program. Yeah, definitely. And you, you said about um, since your time leaving full-time rugby, uh, you've, you've obviously done a lot more research in kind of different different things, um, nutrition and mindfulness and, and that sort of thing. Like how, how do you see um, that sort of stuff um, integrating into rugby? Yeah, well... Um... In terms of what I'll, I'll come on to the mindfulness in a minute, in terms of what I just said around communication, it's evident that um, a lot of clubs are finally looking at this. Um, I'm also doing some work with, with people in, in clubs at the moment and what they want more than anything is is to understand how to communicate out the whole space and how to present. So clubs are starting to look at that already. In relation to, to mindfulness practices and, and mental emotional recovery and, and cultivating flow and um, all a lot of buzzwords that we're here today. It's a matter of timing um, before we see rugby teams really taking on board some of these practices. And um, it's very close to happening. It needs to happen eventually because there's only so much we can put into a player's training program. There's only so much high-intensity training we can give to the player. There's only so many different training modalities we can bring in. All that is very, very stimulating and it's very high intensity and um, it's very yang, if you will. And in order to balance the human organism, the human being, uh, there's a real need, in my opinion, to bring the opposite end of the spectrum into rugby preparation. And that is mindfulness. That is deep, deep relaxation. It's different aspects of meditation. It's breath work. It's... Um, it's contemplative practices. It's a connection with nature. It's um, yeah. It, it all revolves around deep, deep relaxation, and that will kill two birds with one stone. And what, in fact, it has multiple benefits. On one hand, it will increase performance because the more we can relax and more we can ground and, and return to homeostasis, the harder the, the harder we can train, and we can even go on to training at, at even higher intensities. But also. Um, 
it will help to uh, to cultivate more groundedness as well, which um, can have positive benefits not only in the player's game but also in his life outside of rugby and also beyond rugby as well. It's my um, opinion that if more attention was put on self-awareness and mindfulness practices early in a rugby player's career, then we would see less depression when a rugby player retires and we would see less frustration and less suicides, unfortunately. That's the extreme. Yeah, it's def- definitely a big issue. And also think from coming at the other way, looking from the, the science perspective, I think they are starting to look at cognitive loading and things like that, and that can only be a good thing that you know we yeah. can actually get some evidence of it as well. Um, so mo- moving on uh, in terms of actual strength coach, what do you think is the most important role of the strength coach and what do you think uh, most SNCs overlook when it comes to performance? Well, okay, that's a big question. Um <laughs> Um, maybe I'll give you more than one answer here, but I'll, I'll try and get through. The first one, I'm just relating this to my own experience and also what I did. Uh, so the first um, piece of advice I have here is to be a role model. So this is the most important one for me. And um, it's a role model of how you live your life and how you conduct yourself. In my SNC days, the most important rule I adopted was I never ever taught a player something that I hadn't done myself. And I always made it my priority to perfect my demonstrations so that players could actually see what a perfect exercise looked like. And and that's really powerful because most players are visual. They're not good listeners. The next one, Jamie, I, would be related to some of the aspects of what I just said, to become more self-aware. So stop blaming others for, for, for your frustration. It's very easy, especially with, with the young uh, conditioning coaches that lack self-awareness, to point the finger. It's always a player's fault. It's always a coach's fault. It's always the fault of somebody else, but never themselves. So so one of the things I do with my mentoring is I, I, I teach SNC coaches and other coaches to, to point the finger the other way to examine themselves, to become aware of the thought patterns, to become aware of why they may lack confidence in a certain area, to become aware of the fears, and, and um, but also to really come into knowing what the strengths are and utilizing those strengths and, and admit, admitting the challenges of being vulnerable uh, and also really working on confidence. Confidence is number one. If you're not confident, players will pick up on that immediately. So, yeah, so the second one is, is seek to know yourself better and better, and which will help you also to figure figure people out. And the last one, Jamie, is, um, is um, learn what it means to build character, their own character and also the character of the players. And um, this is an important point for me, especially in my career. So S&C is very much associated with physical development. However, we now know that we cannot separate the mind from the body. The mind and all its patterns drives the body. So, so SNC coaches really, in their own way, must also be psychologists. And um, an important point to mention here, which may help some SNC coaches. So, when I look back at my career, I realize, and I only realized this recently, actually, when I when I look back, I realized that my SNC approach was very mental. I looked at SNC from a mental outcome approach. 
And I remember at Wasps especially, and, and when I went to Leicester, looking around at what other clubs were doing and not really agreeing with what they were doing and seeing that my programs and our way of doing things was completely different. I never, I never followed the norm. I always, I always um, programmed and coached based on what the mental and emotional outcome of each training session was, would be. And that's why I never did aerobic runs and that's why I never did traditional interval work or traditional circuit work. Um, I always wanted to look at the outcome. And I'll tell you why. The reason why is because based on my observations and some experiments that I ran with the teams, um, I actually compared traditional, um, if you like, the traditional approach, traditional interval and traditional circuits and this kind of linear athletic approach. I compared that with some of the real high intensity short bouts of work that we'd combine, where we'd combine things like maximal resistance work with, with, with short speed work, combative stuff, getting off the floor, and some and, and also some technical problem solving and, and some activities that involved fear. Now my findings without any scientific technology at that time was that the latter led to an increased heart rate, increased stress, increased brotherhood connection, accountability and trust. You'd literally get guys at the end of some of the sessions that we did, um, picking each other off the floor, high five, hugging each other, and you do not get that when you do traditional interval session. Try it for yourself. So those are the kind of, I guess, three, three areas that I think are really, really important for s coaches to, to be aware of. Yeah, definitely. I couldn't agree more. I mean, similar to what I said before, you, you can have the best training session, best program, but if you can't tap into that mindset and, and get them to put everything into it and, and build those other, you know, cultural things like the brotherhood and accountability, then, you yeah. know, you're you're leaving a lot on the table. So definitely agree there. Now, obviously, uh, oh, Karen. Sorry, just, just to finish on that, Jeremy, sorry for interrupting you there. That's no, right. I can't stress enough for an SNC coach to work on themselves. Within yourself, if you have the capacity to hold space, to be a brother, to be confident, to, to be really, really leading and empowering, then you have a chance. You have the capacity to transmit that to the players. If you don't, then you, you're not going to make it to the top. So moving on, you obviously you spoke about the teams you worked with and you had success at international and club or, uh, club level. Uh, what do you find the difference between working week in week out at, at clubs and then obviously uh, international level? Well, in terms of um, in terms of the level of the players, there's not that actually that much difference at the moment because some of the clubs have got incredible programs and um, yeah, and, and um, so there's not actually that much difference. And um, a lot of the club players, anyway, the top teams, are, 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 they're all internationals, especially at some of the big clubs. So there's not much difference when, when you go up in terms of the level of conditioning. In terms of my experience of, of, of working in the club and working in the country, of course, it's prestigious to work for international teams and work for the Lions. But um, the real rewards for me were, were working with clubs. I had a lot more enjoyment and, and satisfaction working with clubs. And, and, and building a team around me and, and getting to know the players well, especially on a mental and emotional level. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
so S and C is a career where you know you need to be constantly upskilling, and and you've obviously shown how much you've done loads of that around loads of different things. Um, uh, but look into a more kind of broader base of of ways to improve your your coaching efficacy. Um, so what would you you recommend to others, uh, and what have been some of your biggest findings? Maybe kind of outside the box of what traditional S and C would would do. Yeah, um, I mean the first thing to say here is. Um it's just become incredibly competitive. It's, I mean, I'm, I'm glad I'm not a young S&C coach now coming through this. It's just incredibly competitive, which is great. It's just great on one hand. On the other hand, it makes it difficult to get uh, a job. Um, I mean, the first one is that they must continually, continually upskill, you know, seek people out, go and visit people, ask questions, and, um, and, and yeah, just get around and be seen, go to different sports, go to rugby teams, and um, just 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 learn as much as possible. The um, the S and C coaching degrees that we see today, they actually are getting um, they're becoming more practical in nature. However, there's still a lot of um, there's a lot of facets of, of those degrees that um, they don't teach you aspects of communication, for example. They don't teach you soft skills that you need in the game. So um, there's no substitute for spending time with experienced practitioners who, can, who you can watch and you can watch them how they coach and, and how they communicate, which can really give you shortcuts and, uh, and optimize SSE coach development. Also, the other thing related to my experience is don't be afraid to spend time with someone who has a completely different philosophy to yours and can challenge your thinking. And um, the best guys who I'm aware of, they, they do this a lot. They'll they'll go to the traditionalists. They'll go to places like um, Louis Simmons, Westside Barbell. But they'll also look at the opposite end of the spectrum and they visit people like Fern Gambetta and the, the functional guys. So uh, this is really important as well. Um, and, yeah, I would also say... Um, just come back, coming back to these soft skills, Jeremy, I just can't stress the importance of that, you know. And um, it's just incredibly important. And just uh, a few other things just to tick it off, just to tick some important advice off. Um, learn to demonstrate exercises with perfect technique. Learn to communicate. Learn about your language. Learn how to speak. Learn how to present and give presentations and hold space, and um, and also be prepared to initially work for nothing. It's important to be seen. It really is. Yeah, definitely some great advice there, Craig. And I agree with um, you know seeking out people who have different opinions to you. I mean, like speaking personally, having gone to a lot of conferences and things like that, it seems like it's all catered to you know that crowd and and everyone's there sat nodding away. Yeah. But there's nothing nothing controversial or you know that would make you question what you're doing uh, and yeah. sometimes a lot of the time that's when you actually figure out how you can do something different and and improve and adapt your program so definitely agree with that finding for me finding mentors was incredibly powerful in fact there was a time in my career where i stopped going to conferences because i didn't learn anything and i i just tracked down people to mentor me yeah uh, any mentors yourself in, in particular um, that you work with? The ones that I spent time with would be, the more significant one would be Charlie Francis. Yeah. When he was alive. And um, 
Yeah, a few others as well, but he's the most significant one just because of the the way he thought, a very common sense approach. Yeah, definitely. His, his name's actually popped up a few times recently on a podcast, so definitely a, yeah. a, good to have that recognised again. Um, so your career has moved, as, as we mentioned, moved now into coach mentoring. Um, tell us a bit about what you do and, and why it's so important. Um, it's, it just seems a logical fit for me because when I look back at my career, um, I just realised I've mentored shitloads of SNC coaches and a lot of them are, are in real kind of high-profile successful jobs now and it's just a thread that goes through runs through my career and, um, and and I'm passionate about it I'm passionate about it because it enables me to work with them holistically um, if you speak to anybody about me and that most of the people will say that uh, I'm very holistic now some people might say I'm a genius but one thing I am is I'm very uh, I'm very holistic and I have a skill set which enables me to cover all areas of coach development so I can help coaches with physical development and all the technical aspects of being a conditioning coach, the methodology, the um, technology, you know, putting sessions together, all this kind of thing. But I can also help them with the mental and emotional lives as well and how this fits into um, into their role as an SNC coach. So. I'm, my mentoring journeys are very, very much holistic, and they're much more than SNC. Um, currently, I work with SNC coaches. I work with sports medics, performance directors, the odd technical coach, and, and the odd manager. And they all vary tremendously. With one guy at the moment, it's very, very much SNC. It's very much how to construct sessions, building confidence, understanding coaches putting together warm-ups, putting together weight programs, just the, the nuts and bolts of, of S&C. And at the extreme of that, with another guy, it's very much around understanding the frustrations he has with his management team, figuring them out, understanding how they tick, understanding the, 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 the patterns of behavior and getting into a deeper connection with them to understand them and help them. And, uh, and with another guy as well that I'm working with, it, it's very much about uh, cultivating flow and mindfulness. So it, it really varies, and that's one of one of the reasons I like to do it. And um, because for me, course development is is not all about looking outside for the answers at the next best gadget, the next best best exercise session, or the next new methodology from Eastern Europe or whatever. It's ultimately about self-awareness effective coaching is ultimately about self-awareness and it's about knowing your strengths knowing your limitations and working other people out in order to to get the best out of them and really that's it yeah definitely I was working in sport and and rugby it's um it's all about people isn't it and bringing a group of people together for you know a common a common cause um so you've got to figure out how to get the best out of yourself, how to get the best out of the people around you and, and for it to, to add up, you know, to greater than the sum of its parts. Um, it's, so very definitely agree. Outside, it's very easy to look outside for answers and it's very easy to do more courses and more courses and, and more degrees. And it's also very easy to blame others. It's not so easy to point the finger towards yourself and really take a look at your life, at your past, at your, your thought patterns and your, your capacity to connect. So one of the, the outcome really of, of these mentoring journeys that I offer are always 
SNC coaches end up with more confidence, more capacity to hold space, and they're, and they're more contented and, and more happier, not only in the job, but also in, in all aspects of the life. So it's very rewarding for me to do this. Yeah, definitely. Sounds sounds good. And and you, how are you how are you delivering that? Is it one on one coaching or is it groups or? It's gonna. I'm I'm gonna uh, do something in 2018, Jamie. I'm gonna offer um some uh, sports coach um communication workshops aimed at SNC coaches, which I think are needed. Um, but generally speaking, it's it's one on one, and um, that can vary. Sometimes it's um Skype. Sometimes it's face to face. Sometimes it's a combination. Sometimes it's a three month. Um, journey and um, the other um, option is I offer um, 12 month um, mentorship journeys where I support a head coach or any coach for that matter through a whole season and, and, and beyond yeah sounds sounds good definitely something um, you know we, we should talk about more um, we'd love to have you uh, back on the podcast and maybe discuss that a bit more in depth as opposed to just your kind of S&C career um, yeah. <laughs> but obviously you know a 25 year career it was going to going to take a while to discuss um but lastly where can people learn more about you craig um they can look on um whitehealthandperformance.com or they can look on craigwhitecoaching.com cool and of course we'll share those links in the in the show notes for anyone who wants to check you out uh but craig thank you uh for taking the time to you know share you know your what you've learned over your you know extensive career um definitely appreciate and i'm sure the listeners will have got uh, you know a ton out of that and uh, we'd love to chat more with you about your, you know, your future ventures. Yeah, thanks, Jamie. Appreciate your time. Cheers. Bye, bye, mate. Wow, thank you, Craig. A great insight into your career and, uh, you know, the achievements you've had, uh, clubs you've worked with, and, and teams, and and obviously what you're doing now. Uh, we promised to get Craig on again. Uh, he said he's really keen to talk, you know, even more in depth about his coach mentoring, and that might be something that some of the listeners might be interested in. So we'll definitely get him on in the future. But thanks again, Craig. Uh, in the meantime, guys, please subscribe to us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, iTunes, and of course, if you're on iTunes, give us a five star review, and also. So if you want to improve your performance for rugby, check out the Rugby Renegade subscription program at rugbyrenegade.com. Anyway, more podcasts coming soon, so stay tuned. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Renegade podcast. For more quality rugby strength and conditioning information, check us out at rugbyrenegade.com. Rugby Renegade, building machines.